Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Claire Marquick, and this is Real Life Business. Welcome to episode number four of the Real Life Business Podcast. Before we begin, you might notice a slight difference in the sound to the intro and the outro of this episode. Today is a real life example for me for how plans can fall at the wayside very, very quickly. I'm here at my in-laws house with the very crude recording gear, aka my phone earbuds, instead of being at home in my studio, thanks to our wonderful car deciding to blow an air hose on our way home yesterday. But we are pressing on regardless, given this is the very essence of what this show is all about. Business and, in fact, life in general throws us curveballs all of the time, and it's how we choose to navigate those that really determines our success or not. So we are pressing on. In this episode, I am talking to Circle Leadership founder and CEO, Dave Clare. Dave is also the Pacific Region Ambassador of the Global Company Culture Association, author of the leadership book Simplified, self-proclaimed twice over world's greatest dad and the world's greatest husband 13 years in a row. Through this conversation, Dave shares his raw and honest story of nearly giving up on his business dream until a simple question filled his head, which completely changed the trajectory of his life, his business, and now actually forms the backbone of the advice that he shares with his clients. We join the conversation with Dave sharing his journey from humble beginnings to where he is right now. So firstly, thank you for allowing me to be on the podcast. Um, any chance I get to share my story, I, I really value and appreciate. So uh, I'll, I'll give you the, um, the the short version because the long version, the, like I just turned 55 yesterday, so you don't want 55 years of history, but I'll give you the <laughs> the abridged version of it. Um, Perfect. Yeah, so firstly, just understand I'm, I'm a Canadian born. Um, I live in Australia uh, currently here in Perth, West Australia. Um, and my journey almost started here actually in when we first moved to Australia. Um, I was conditioned to believe that, um, you know, great parenting, which I had, but my dad, um, he said, you know, son, go get a good solid job with a, you know, a bank or a telco or a government agency and stuff like that. Um, he'd been an entrepreneur um, for a while and the, like, well, he, like he was a franchisee of, a, of franchises and um, those franchisors all went broken. So that really put a lot of pressure onto the business. So mm. dad's mindset was for us to, you know, make sure that we don't, he didn't want us to experience that. So we said just, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's really important part of my story because the conditioning influences that I had, I went and then got a job with a bank and I started working um, for a bank way back in 1985 before you were probably born. And um, <laughs> I was born then I was five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and, and so I got into banking and finance now, once again, because I was blessed with great work ethic, my, my parents were wonderful role models in many things. And uh, we could certainly talk about the nature versus nurture concept of leadership and all that, which just fascinates me. But the, um, uh, in my conditioning influences that, but I also, one of the other conditioning influences I had was, you know, that you work hard, um, you be committed to your employer, you do all this sort of stuff. And it, it re- it's a reflection of you more than anything else. Doesn't matter what anyone else does. You represent yourself when you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I worked really hard and I, you know, went up through the ladder in the, in the banking world relatively quickly in the retail world. Um, and almost got fired to the day where I almost got fired because I was providing too much service to our clients. 
How do you provide uh, too much service? Well, this was back in the days when banking, you were lucky that we existed for you and you should be thankful that we're lending you money. And, um, and, but then the bank realized that we really need to be more customer focused. And, and so literally I was on performance review for spending too much time with the clients. I was spending too much talking to them too much. Yeah, it was, it was quite ironic. And then the very, as the bank went through this new uh, organizational change, if you want, um, I got appointed as one of the first customer service managers for the new customer service centers. Big figure. <laughs> yeah. So I went from zero to hero very quickly. Uh, and I was like, thankfully, because I was like, oh my God, what have I done wrong here? Like, I'm just caring about the people who are coming in. Yeah. Um, but it, it was fascinating for me. So then, uh, but that was my first real foray into like a leadership role. Uh, and I only share that because that's when I met my first real mentor outside of my father or my mom, right? So mm. mom and dad mentored me for different reasons as, a, as, as I was growing up as an adult. Um, but I met my first real mentor and it was John McGuinness. And I always credited him, actually I credited him in my book as a lot of the stuff I wrote about in my book on leadership was a lot of the stuff that him and I had gone through. We, we didn't realize at the time that that's what we were doing. Mm. Um, and so... And I really believe um, the sign of a great mentor is somebody who sees something in you that you don't necessarily see in yourself. Absolutely. And it's also somebody who's been where you've been. And so he'd been through the corporation and, and organizational ladders and all that sort of stuff. And John just saw something in me that I didn't see. And he saw this innate um, ability to really relate to people at all different levels. And um, he then invested in me in some personal development, personal growth stuff. And what he invested in me was Dave, the, uh, human being, not Dave, the bank Johnny. Mm. And to me, that was really important to understand. Like, um, and it's like a lot of this stuff that I work with people on today, um, you know, about caring about people as human beings first, employees second. But like, I learned that from John, like he cared about me as a human being and he didn't put me on just on bank courses. He put me on like an investment in excellence, which is all about how your mind works and goal setting and, and uh, you know, human behavior and helping to learn that. So I could become the best version of myself. So I could do my best work while I was in his care and beyond. How awesome um, is started, that? Yeah. And like, this is all the work that I do today. So this is what, like, how do I get to be where I am? Well, I, I've always touted myself, Claire, as a practitioner. I'm not a theorist. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a bunch of people who are very academic, who study leadership and do all that, and then go and teach it. Um, 80% of what I've learned has come from doing it. Or, yeah. you know, what I've learned from other people that I've assimilated into who I want to be and who I don't want to be and, and so on. Um, but that was all part of that journey. And, and so for me, I, I got so, it was kind of my first foray into personal development. Um, and then, you know, I, got, I was so absorbed by it. Then they invited me to become a, you know, train the trainer. So then I got to learn how to facilitate. So I got my first international facilitator certificate on how to facilitate that learning. So I could come back into the bank and teach it to the other people uh, and other leaders. So then I learned really about facilitating. And I really love this whole facilitating and coaching and yeah. Uh, but I was still climbing the corporate ladder at that stage. At and then the there was opportunities time. for me. Um, then I just started looking for every single opportunity I could to lead a bigger team. I didn't care about the, you know, like I cared, but I didn't care that much about, you know, the pay. Like I wasn't going to take a massive drop in pay or anything like that, but I would, I took some sideways moves instead of just following the normal course that everyone would. And into new areas when the bank went into call centers and new technology. And I said, well, I'm going to go, I'll jump over there. And there was a chance to start in that whole area, which is kind of like one pay grade down, but across. Um, but I got to build a team and then, you know, with that, we started and we built another team and before, you know, within two years, we had 75 people, um, working in that one department that, you know, that I was, um, co-sharing in terms of leadership and, and as customer sales manager and, or client sales manager for all across Australia. And, um, mm -hmm. 
And so I, you know, got in this whole sense of leadership. And then I realized that, you know, this whole thing of, I really enjoyed leadership yeah. as to what I believe leadership should be. Um, but then I realized in the bank without a certificate or a piece of paper, I wasn't going to be able to climb the corporate ladder to lead larger divisions. Cause if I wanted to get to the next layer, I had to have my certificate or my MBA or something like that. Yeah. Um, which was quite fascinating just as a sidebar. I, I went and started to do my MBA because of that reason. 12 months into it, my one of my favorite lecturers, he said, Dave, the stuff you're learning today will be obsolete in five or 10 years. And the stuff we were learning today, the bank had already been working on or I'd been doing in the bank for over five years. And I said, well, I'm already learning obsolete stuff. So I stopped. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a really, yeah. like, I hear you so much on this. It's, <laughs> it's a huge gripe of mine coming from a finance background myself. <laughs> you know, the amount of... Um, you know, to climb up beyond a certain point, you know, in on that ladder in that industry, it's like, well, you've got to go get your CPA or your CA and you've got to have this and you've got to have that. I'm like, why? Why? Yeah. Like, as I'm going up and up and up, my job is more leading a team of people. You know, I'm not doing yeah. the, the the number crunching anymore. So why do I need yeah. that? Like, there's more important things at that level, but oh, it's a yeah, big bugbear no, of mine. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with you because what I also learned at that time, for me, from a leadership point of view, I could, and I've been into private sector, public, corporates, not-for-profits, you name it. Now I've had my own business. I still have my own business again today. Um, the one thing I've learned about leadership is, and which is why I wrote my book, is, you know, leadership is simple. You lead people. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be planted into any industry, any type of organization, you name it, in a leadership role. Um, and may not understand the industry totally, which I, I would need to learn certain things about it. But what I need to, to understand and know is people. And I always worry there's two things in leadership or any role you're in. What do you need to know? And what do you need to understand? And when I go into um, from leadership the, or any role you're in, the first thing you need to know is who knows. The rest of the stuff I just need to understand. Mm-hmm. Right. But in, yep. in, from a leadership point of view, I need to know human behavior. I need to know I need to know my people. Then I need to understand how they think and act and how. Um, <clears throat> But do I need to know the industry? No, I need to understand the industry, but I don't need to know it. I, what I need to know is people and I need to understand the industry. Yeah. And where you find a lot of people who are industry specific, who get into leadership role, they understand, they know the industry, but they don't, they don't know people. Yep. Yep. Right? And that's so exactly I what I experienced. That. All yeah. these very, very technically competent um, CFOs who yep. knew you know, knew, knew the intricacies of accounting standards and tax law and all this sort of stuff inside out, but could they lead a team of people? Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is where the old adage does the best salesperson make the best sales manager, not usually. Mm -hmm. Um, And the best technician doesn't make the best leader, you know, and and a lot of people who run businesses today have the businesses because they were a great technician. And now they have a business and they might be a great business person or a business manager or whatever, but doesn't make them a great leader. Yeah. Those who have gone on to understand psychology and human behavior and philosophy and um, how to inspire people and engage people and empower people and all that, that's... um, and how to help people become the best version of themselves to do their life's best work while they're in your care and beyond. Um, those are the ones who go on to be great leaders. Yes. Um, so, so, you know, I was learning all this stuff. And then when I realized I was kind of hitting like this kind of glass ceiling, if you wish, in, in, in the banking and finance world, um, I started getting that, you know, that voice in the back of my head. So I'd had all that conditioning beliefs before about, you know, hey, go get a safe job. But I kind of like, is this all I'm meant to do? Just, you know, trade my 40 hours a week for... 40 years of my life to retire on 40% of what I earned. Um, and it's like, I'd really like to get out and adventure and, 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 and explore and, and learn some other things. And, you know, and I still had then, uh, you know, the trappings of success. I had a house, I had a car, I had a wife, I had children, um, or had a child at the stage. Um, 
but an opportunity came up to go to Papua New Guinea. Um, they were looking for leadership development consultants, three development consultants to join, was having to be in banking again, um, but which was fine. So I thought, okay, I understand banking. Yeah. And, but leadership's my thing. And they're looking for people to, to um, take the, what was then the Papua New Guinea Banking Corporation, the PNGBC out of the sixties and seventies into the more modern nineties of leadership and management, which is kind of like just really management, but um and I thought with all the stuff I know, what a great opportunity to get out as a contractor or as a, like take a contract. And, and it was a three-year contract, go on a bit of an adventure. I'd never been to New Guinea before. I didn't even get on a plane to go check it out. I just submitted my thing, got selected and packed up my wife and my then wife and my, my son, Mitchell. And we flew to New Guinea on this adventure for me wow. to become this leadership development consultant. How old uh, was your son then? Uh, he was 18 months old. Wow. Yeah. Talk about and most people said, like, you're taking your wife and your kids over there. I said, well, I didn't get married to be away from them. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have kids to be an absent father. Now, no, no disrespect to anybody who does that That's and they make this choice. Yeah. For me, it just wasn't my choice. Yep. It wasn't the kind of role that I wanted to play. And because, you know, and once again, my dad, we've had this conversation, my brothers and I, like, dad, he, he wasn't raised, he didn't have a dad, like his dad walked out when he was three or five, I can't remember how old he was at the time. So my grandmother was his role model. Mm -hmm. um, and so dad did what he was best, but he was a workaholic and he provided for his family. And, you know, and one thing that we learned is like, as children, you just want time with your parents. And yeah. so whatever our career I created, I wanted to create something where, um, I could be there and enjoy those moments that I wish my dad or that had been there for. Yeah. Um, you know, dad's there now and it's great. We have an awesome relationship. We always did, but it was just, you know, the, and, and say, cause like he's an amazing father. He did what he thought was right for our family and provided for us and did all the things that he did. Cause he did not know any better. Exactly. Um, that. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it, once again, that was his conditioning influences. Um, and so from what I learned from him, which I credit him for was the fact that I wanted to make sure I could be more, involved in those things so i was never going to go somewhere where i wouldn't be able to access my children or spend time um yeah anyway so so we we that's why we all went um and uh, what and we were supposed to be there for three years after four well actually about 12 months made the decision my then wife was pregnant with our second child with uh, with jordan our, our daughter and um we did not want to raise another child in new guinea um, the people there are just amazing human beings. They're just so beautiful. Um, I got to do some amazing things, went some amazing adventures, um, but the bad element was so bad at the time. Um, and if anyone's been to New Guinea, they'll know what I'm talking about. I share stories and people go, Rob, really? Come on. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh God. Uh, that sounds like a whole, whole other, whole other Yeah, we could do a whole, whole other, other podcast time. on that. Um, <laughs> anybody listening to this who would like to know, please send me your details and I'll set up a time and I'll, I'll share with some stories because it's really cool stuff. Um, but I was 33 at the time. I'm like, this is epic adventure. This is amazing. But how close to home does it have to get before it's too close to home? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then so we decided when my then wife was pregnant with our second child, we didn't want to raise another one in New Guinea. So we decided to pack up um, and come back to Australia briefly. But I kind of didn't want to come back and then just go back into what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So eight weeks after my daughter was born, we packed everything up. And then my wife and the two kids, we moved back to Canada. Right. Um, and then when I went back to Canada, it was kind of hoping that I would get a job, but I, I was already had the bug now. And I was like, okay, yeah. now I really wanted to see for myself. Now, not that I wasn't before, because, you know, I was trading time for money, right? We'll, 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 we want you to work this job, whatever hours it takes, and we're going to pay you this much. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, I want to learn, I want to see, put myself, you know, put it on myself to see how much could I make? in terms of my life and not that it's all about making money, but I, it was more about who I would become and what I could accomplish in my life. 
and if I went out and did something on my own. Mm. And so I decided then to buy a license to what was then Leadership Management International, which was the largest personal and organizational development co uh, company in the world. There was in, I think they've been around for 40 odd years at the time. They were in 60 different countries. Um, so, okay, so leadership is a thing. They've got tools and products. It's yeah. my area. It's what I love. I'm awesome at it. You know, I'm really great with people. This is the perfect match for me. And I sold my house and took all the money from my house and the proceeds of that and bought a license. Wow. Uh, and back <laughs> and then- And how old are your kids at this point? Uh, so then Mitchell would have been about three and Jordan was basically three months old. Wowzers. So another yeah, massive so, decision. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was, uh, I think back. So we landed back in Canada in June by August. I'd bought my license, sold the house, took a large chunk of our uh, equity, bought this license, um, and then had X amount left. I thought that's okay. That'll cover me just for a few months, which was great. Cause then once I start making sales, cause I'm so good at this stuff that <laughs> no problems, um, and, you know, I'll go on a very successful business and I'll show everybody what it, I can, I'm worth more than 70 grand a year, or 80 grand a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Uh, and I know you and I, when we first talked, started talking about, you know, on the podcast, I said, you know, that to me, there was this moment in my life when I went from realized that, that I needed to make a shift from starving to serving. Well, uh, three months later in October, um, October, it was mid-October 2000 and, sorry, October 1999, that uh, I was sitting there, looked at the bank balance. I hadn't closed a single deal. So August, September, October, three months I'd been in the business, mm -hmm. hadn't closed a single deal. I've been doing all the right things. I've been doing all the calls and doing out and doing the stuff like that, but nobody was buying. Mm. Yet I know all this stuff about human behavior. Like I'm this, and like you know, I've done all this stuff, and I've worked at the bank. I could talk to the managing directors. I like, and nobody was buying. And What's I looked at the bank account, and I realized, oh crap, I've only got enough money to pay the rent for this next month, and maybe food, and that's it. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I'd, and uh, like literally, and I've shared the story in other content that I put out uh, only actually in the last couple of years because I hadn't shared it prior to that it was actually on the 20th anniversary I was I was uh, had this big win in October 2019 and it made me reflect wow look at remember where I was and to see where things are at now and and I that's when I first shared this whole um, thing from starving to serving is I was sitting there in the kids we were living in a basement apartment under a tanning salon so there's two bedroom one bathroom um uh, apartment underneath the tanning salon in this building that had two other little mini apartments above it. Um, and my office was this little storeroom that was kind of off the side with no, it was just brick walls and stud walls everywhere. Cause the kids shared one bedroom and my wife and I had the other, and we had a little lounge room and a kitchen and that was it. And this little storeroom I turned into my office is a great photo of it. And there's this big copper pipe that comes down through the ceiling and across the top of it. And that was the main um, pipe for the, all the toilets in the building. So <laughs> So anytime anyone flushed the toilet anywhere in the building, the water feature, I used to call my feng shui water feature. Would, <laughs> so I'd be on a call and like, what's that noise? Oh, it's just my feng shui water feature. Uh, but it was actually the main, you know, the main pipe for the, the toilets for the whole building. Oh my gosh. Um, this is where I was working out of, right? And uh, as I was building my dream and that entrepreneur getting out and, and doing everything, and, uh, and when I looked at that, that night I sat in my kid's bedroom. I leant up against Mitchell's bed. I stared at my daughter, Jordan, three months old in her crib. Mitchell's fast asleep. He always slept anyway. Um, 
And I was sort of like, just started thinking, oh my God, what have I done to my family? What have I done? I, like I was literally in tears. My wife was already in bed asleep and I'm trying to work out how the hell am I going to get out of this hole? How am I going to tell her that we have no money left? And uh, um, sorry, I wish it gets hard to talk about it. The, mm. um, and, and, and I said, there, like, I said, I just got to quit. I got to go get a job. I got to go find a job. I, it's out. I got to go. Like, like I've, I've failed. Yeah. Like, uh, I proved to myself I couldn't do it. Um, I need to quit. And I need to give up. And you know, when you're sitting there once again, and I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm just thinking all this stuff, then there's this voice in the back of my head again. This, I don't know where this he or she lives in there, but there's somewhere in the back of my head this voice lives. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it just clear as bell through all the tears and all the, the, the other thoughts running through my head. It said, said to me, it said, Dave, what are you teaching your kids if you quit? Wow. What are you teaching your kids if you quit? That when things get tough, you just give up. And you know what, Claire, I look at my kids today and, you know, they're only, my daughter, she's 21 now. My son, Mitchell, he turns, she turns 21 next month. My son, he turns 25. And I now have another son through my new relationship now in my life, which is awesome. Um, but my two biological children, and I look at them now and look at their tenacity and their persistence. And when things get tough, do they, do they get down on themselves a little bit? Sure. But do they quit? No. Mm. And so uh, like that, so I said, no, what I need, and at that moment it says, well, yeah, what am I going to teach my kids? I need to be more. I need to ask more of myself. I need to become more. I need to evolve my thinking. I need to shift. I can't just rest on my laurels. I was trying to grow and grow and I wasn't getting anywhere. I was resting on my laurels, basically trying to do more of who I already was rather mm. than becoming more of who I needed to be. That's and that was a, a really big distinction for me in terms of growth versus evolution. And this is where that whole thing started for me. And I'm like, yeah. I need to evolve who I am. I need to become more, not do more of who I already am. Because that's all I was doing. I was just trying to deliver more of who I already was rather than saying I need to become more. And nobody in the whole starving to serving thing is nobody buys from a starving person. My clients could see that I said, like, shit, I need to pay. I need to make a sale here because I got to pay my rent. I got to pay food. I need to fuel my car. I need to. And whether I wasn't saying those things, but whatever's going on inside you, I really believe finds a way to manifest itself on the outside. And if you've ever been across from somebody and they're saying all the right things, but it just doesn't feel right. That energy's just not there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You and, get and that that's, vibe. And that's what I was like. I was like, you know, I'm hungry. I need to like, I got to, I'm just trying to say anything I could to get them to say yes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I had a chat with my, my then um, sort of pseudo mentor in the organization and uh, Ruth. And she said to me, said, Dave, you just need to relax. And I'm like, Rax, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm about to go bust here. Like, <laughs> How do you relax when I can't pay me. the rent? And, you know, I wanted to blame her because she was a master franchise. You, you took all this money from me. You sold me this bill of goods and, and I haven't been able to make a sale. This stuff's crap. And, you know, but in, inside, I knew it was me and it was me who was crap. I needed to, you know, like all this crap thinking. I had these limited beliefs and I needed to be able to bust through. If you really want to be and all these things you say you're capable of accomplishing, well, it's time to be the person who would do those things, not talk about the person who would do those things. So how so do that's you do that? Like that, I mean, that's, I, I, I yeah. am hearing you so mm. loud and clear. Like I, I, I feel it sort of here. I'm like, oh yes. You know, you're speaking yeah. my language sort of things. So if, if someone listening to this is sort of feeling in that rock bottom situation and they yeah. might not like have the, you know, the, the, the toilet pipe above their head or yeah. whatever, but you know, if they're, if they're feeling in that rock bottom situation, how do you, how do you pull yourself out from that? Where did you go next? Yeah. So what I did is, um, and uh, she said, Dave, you need to relax. 
She said, for the next week, I want you just to go as meet as many people as you can and go find out about them. Just don't try to sell them anything. Just go yeah. find out what their goals are, what their dreams are, what they want to work on, where they are, where they like to be, why they're not getting there. And just really grill, ask questions, question, 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 and just think about them. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to even think about yourself, your situation, nothing. And so um, she kept saying, you just need to relax because, you know, uh, and I've got this really great quote from Bill Murray, famous comedian, of course. And, uh, and he said, you're at, you're at your best when you're relaxed. You know, when you're in, you know, when you were in flow state and all these sorts of things, you were at our best when we were in flow state. Um, and so I wrote the, wrote the word relax down. And, um, and this is how I developed what I call my relaxed selling process, which is how to facilitate people to, facilitate people to make smart buying pro, uh, decisions. And, um, and so I, okay, so I need to learn to relate to people more. And then I need to make sure I set clear expectations of why I'm here, which is to ask them questions and learn about them and find out. And then I need to do the learning about them. And then I need to be able to do an analysis. And then I need to find out why it's so important that X marks the spot, which is the hot button. Uh, and then actually, then it went on to, then I added ED into it. So, um, you know, uh, then I need to help them emotionally rationalize their, because I get them all emotionally jacked up. And I need to help them understand logically why it makes sense for them to make a decision and yeah. then help yeah. them to make the best decision for them, not the decision that I need I or want because I want it. Yeah. Right. So then I just started going, so now I had the framework of thought process. I said, okay, here's how I'm going to think when I'm in front of somebody. And I wanted to find a way to relate them. I wanted to make sure they're clear expectations. I'm just here to learn about you and share, you know, and I get myself out of the way early. And, and then, you know, then I would listen and, you know, and as I started to learn more about them, then I could ask deeper and more meaningful questions. And then I could find out, okay, great. Now I understand all that. Now, why is this important to you? And I wanted to understand you and, and then I could then say, okay, great. So if, if you did all that, is this what you would say would happen? And like, yes, so the emotional rationalization. What do you want to do? And they said, when do we get started? And I'm like, uh, what? what? I don't know. <laughs> I was like, oh crap, I didn't have a way to help them get started. Still, I don't have that spit of the process. I haven't done this bit before. <laughs> but literally two weeks later, I closed my first deal, the second deal, third deal. 12 months later, um, sales leader of the year for Canada, had a Canadian client of the year for the next three years in a row. World, it's out of all the clients, all the, the national clients, they all went into a, a, a competition to see who was, and two years in a row, my clients went on to become world client of the year for leadership management international for two years in a row. Um, and, and, you know, like, and like I said, that, uh, that was kudos for them because they did the work. So don't get me mm. wrong. My, I was fortunate enough to be the Sherpa, the guide up the their mountains they were climbing and stuff like that, um, and blessed and privileged to be of service to them. But, but it was all because I went from starving to serving. I cared more about them than I did myself. Um, and today is quite funny because if I get accused of anything from my clients, it's Dave, you care more about us than we do at our times about our own selves. <laughs> and, and I know because I know the importance of caring deeply about the people that have, you have the privilege of serving. Um, and I learned that from that 20 odd years ago in that moment, um, that when I'm, and you, you see salespeople, you know, no, not to pick on any industry specific, but when you have someone who's like, you know, looking at you, like the, your next commission check mm-hmm. and you're going, you know, Hey, no, we really care about our clients in this particular industry. And we want to help you <clears throat> with this. And you're going, and that means I'm going to get a $15,000 commission from this instead of saying, I want to help you find your dream, whatever it is that you want to do, let's say real estate by chance. Um, no, I, there's so, I've, I know so many amazing people in real estate who actually just care about the people. They don't give a crap about their commission. And they understand the fact that more people I help and more people are going to help find the dream home 
and the dream thing that they want or sell their home and go like they go the commission will take care of itself exactly yeah and those anyone out there that deals with those are real estate people you want to hang out with um and so i i learned when someone says dave here's my dreams my aspirations my goals and they place it in my hand i have a strong duty of care to do whatever in my power to help them find you know or whatever do i can do to help them to achieve that Mm. and sometimes that might mean some tough love like when people say, like, they said, but you told me this. Like, yeah, I know, but like you didn't engage me to accept the yeah buts. Very like I've true. had some clients not talk to me for two weeks. <laughs> like I thought you cared. I thought you cared yeah. about us. Well, because like, I, I do. That's why I, I'm. I provide weekly accountability, and they didn't do a certain thing, and I challenged them on it. Then they did, and then then I challenged them again on it, and then and again, and I didn't hear from them for two weeks. And then we had a face-to-face meeting scheduled and uh, we sat down, we had a chat about it. And it's like, you know what? I was just so under the pump. I was there. I fell back into small thought patterns. You, you know, it, it, it triggered me a little bit when you're, and you know, I'm like, I, I get it. Yeah. They said, but you know, it's great, but we have such a great relationship because they know that I'm not going to let them get away with it because I care so much about them that it would be remiss of me to allow that to happen. Mm. I'm empathetic to it. And like, I'm so like, I, I don't talk to me. That's okay. But don't stay the same. Yes. Yeah. Because that place isn't, isn't getting you closer to where you want to be. And no. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, actually it was something I learned through that whole process back in, in Canada when I was with leadership management international, because <clears throat> once I started getting really, you know, the results were showing, I was like, okay, now I get it. I'm really clear on it. I, I almost, I, no, almost, I actually did. Um, for one month, I said, I'm going to go and push as many buttons as I can. I'm going to ask the most toughest, the hardest grilling questions for people that I can and find out what happens. I'm going to, basically, I said, set a goal myself to see how many offices I could get kicked out of. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I wanted to see how far I could go in terms of really challenging people <clears throat> to find where the edge was, because I think all innovation, everything all happens around the edge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to find, you know, where where it gets too much. And the only way to do that was to push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like it got, got to a stage with uh, one of my clients who is one of my earlier clients, actually, in, in the process, one of the ones I really first pushed. <clears throat> you know, he was a very successful business guy, um, taking over his parents' business, um, a lot of health issues in his family. Um, he was very, very overweight, um, very stressed out, took a lot of responsibility. And, and uh, he was telling me a story about his whole family. And, like they just came back from his uncle who had really had heart disease and all this problem. And, and you know, his wife's parents had to retire. And I looked at him and, I, and I'll, I'll call him Frank for a better word because I won't give his name out. I said, Frank, are you on that same path? And he's like sat back in his chair. He goes, I said, mate, look at your health and well-being right now. Look at the stress that you're under. You told me all the things that caused your uncle's thing and who passed away and that while your father had retired and I'm looking at you like you're one of those people mm-hmm. and you're only 32 years old. Wow. He said, no one's ever talked to me like that. I said, well, mate, um, I'm not saying people don't care about you that much. I'm like, I care enough to ask you that question because this job is killing you. Wow. The way you're doing it, the way you're doing it at 32 years of age, you look like you're 50. What do you say? When do we get started? <laughs> like literally. Isn't that amazing? He's like, because he goes, this is what I need. 
I need somebody who's willing because he's got all bunch. Most of the leaders and people do that. They have a whole bunch of the yes people already around them. And that's not what that's not what that's not what they need. Mm. No, but because in old days we have bosses and subordinates. So we have on the boss, you know, we have what I call ego systems in organizations. So I also learned that from a leadership point of view, Claire, in, in organizations today, we need ecosystems of leadership, mm-hmm. um, not ecosystems. That people today want coaches, not bosses. And that in my definition of leadership, which I've already shared a few times now, that mm-hmm. leadership's all about helping other people become the best version of themselves so they can do their life's best work while they're in your care and beyond. Mm-hmm. Now, where in that does it say that you have to have a position or title to demonstrate leadership? Does not say it at all. Doesn't. So if we built an organization where my team could challenge me and question me in in a proper professional manner and things like that, because they care enough and we created an environment where they're allowed to care for each other, to lift each other up instead of trying to pull each other down, wouldn't that be amazing? But when we have boss subordinate roles, you will have a bunch of people who do, well, it's what the boss wants and, or they'll, I'll just say yes to you and I'll go do what I want anyway why don't we just actually create organizations where we can speak freely, support each other, lift each other up, coach each other, have the best intentions for each other. Cause leaders are human beings too, and, or managers, and they will fall down as well. But if leaders are afraid to fall down because they're afraid what their team will think, or the fact that they don't think their team will lend a hand and say, come on boss, get back up in terms of, you know, like not like being a boss, but as a nice, you know, way to talk to someone like, Hey boss, come on, we're here, you know, leader, get up. Um, then, you know, if you can create a culture where that happens, like how special would that be? How afraid would you be to make, you wouldn't be afraid to make mistakes. You wouldn't be afraid to ask questions and be challenged or be challenged yourself. Exactly. And then we and would bring out the best of everybody because everyone would be willing to share. That's exactly, exactly. And and I see, I mean, this this is a whole other conversation as well, but to me, this starts at school. This this hmm. starts with the education system because it wasn't, it wasn't long ago at the start of term, my eldest, our eldest has just gone into year six and they were, you know, electing the the school leadership team sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he, he didn't, didn't get nominated and he was like oh I'm, I'm i'm not a leader and i was sort of saying to him mate you, you don't need a title um to be a leader you don't need the title school captain to be a leader and to be inspirational but it, you know it's kind of in, in ingrained in their heads that you know if you want to go anywhere in life that starts with being school captain you know and that yeah. starts with being this and and i just think that's the complete wrong message to send to these kids because then they do enter the workforce with the, okay, well, I've got to have that title. I've got to have that position before I can do anything. And if I don't, then I've just got to do what the boss says. And I've, you know, and and the whole culture starts from there, in my opinion. I agree hundred percent. And this is really a really awesome, uh, simple way. Like that's great. So school, the kids at school. Okay. So if you start thinking and acting like a school captain would, that's more important than having a title of being the school captain. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that's not a saying because most people want the school captain. I have the power and I'm the, the, the head boy or the head girl and I'm this and that and the other. No, what is the school captain? Is it supposed to represent the people, the team, make sure we're doing everything that the students are happy and healthy and we're doing really cool things and we're making it a fun place to be at school to make it a great learning environment and support all the educators that are there um, in, in terms of the liaison or whatever the, of, of all the students and and. So if you just think and act like some of that and you took care of people and you saw someone who was struggling and found some way to help them or found someone who could help them and acted like a school captain or a head boy or a head girl or head whatever, guess what? You might actually just get the title because you're, mm-hmm. 
doing it so anyway. it's about it's about <laughs> how you think and act more so than actually have when i get the school captain's title then i'll start thinking and acting like a school captain mm. well no when i get the and this is where we have this when i get to be the boss when i get that next position when i get the promotion when i get the job and we're always waiting for something in the end to make us happy rather than just being happy doing in the things that that point. would do so if you want to have your own business or if you want to have that next promotion, start thinking and acting like you're that. One of my buddies, he's a golf pro um, and he was running a small golf pro shop and there was this really big thing coming up over east over where you guys, um, over Sydney way, sort of border Sydney and Queensland. And he's like, it was massive leap in terms of the take of this pro shop. It became your own business and it was really cool. And um, so we did some coaching on it. And then I said, mate, you need to just walk into that interview because you're going to be meeting the whole council, the, 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 the committee of the, the golf club and all that. And I said, you need to walk in there like you already own the pro shop. You're already running it. And you're telling them what programs we're working on and then what you do, and like, and, and like as if not, not going in there like you're, you're thinking you would like to have the job. Go in there as if you already had the job. What would you be telling them if you already had the job? Mm-hmm. It's a, and there it's was some other a, golf pros from other places that were in competition. They's like, oh, but these pros said, you're going to win this because you're going to walk in there and you're the only one who's going to walk in with the mindset that you're already running the pro shop. And if you, if you filter all your answers through the lens of, I'm already running this pro shop, what would I be doing? How would I be doing it? And saying, well, here's what, we, here's our, here's what our kids' programs look like. And here's what we're, uh, and he got the job. And he got the business and he did extremely well with it. Now he's back over here now working on some other stuff. But like, that's how you get... By thinking and acting like I'm already that and acting as if I'm already that. That's exactly what I was about reality. to say. Yep. Because the other stuff that people do, and Claire, I don't like the thing that really sends like grates my mind and like nails on a chalkboard is when someone says, just fake it till you make it. Oh, that's where I was going next. <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> like it's that's not what... fake it till you make it. That's no, just... anybody listening to this, if anyone tells you to fake it till you make it, please run, run, run far, far away from that human being. Yes. You do not need to fake anything. But if you start thinking and acting as if you are, like if you set your mind to saying, I want to be this or I want to have that in my life, and you go, well, what, who would I need to be to have that? And then what if that behavior and thought pattern could I start doing now and start acting as if that, and this is how we evolve and become. So it's the same thing for me when I went through that whole starving to, to serving mindset is how would I think and act if I really cared about people at the level I say I do and things like, what would I be doing in that interview? Well, I wouldn't be thinking about myself. I'd be thinking about them and I'd be listening a lot more intently. And I'd be, so I just went out and started doing those things. Mm. And guess what? The results followed the results by a byproduct of me becoming that and acting as if I was already that and bringing it into reality rather than having to fake and pretend because I was faking and pretending before because I was pretending to care at the level, but I really cared more about me at that stage. Yeah. But I was saying things that said, sounded like I cared about you, but innately they're going, oh, something's not right here. It's just on that shallow surface level. And right. like you say, there's this, there's this bias, there's this energy, whatever you want to call it, whatever you believe, yep. but it's there, isn't it? It's all yeah, we admit though, <laughs> like the things it, you're, it is, it's energy, whatever, like, you know, we're, you can't deny science. We're made up of energy and, you know, how I think, you know, as a man thinketh, as a person thinketh, think and grow rich, I think therefore I am, all this stuff. So whatever you're thinking will project itself, whether you're, doesn't matter what the words that are coming out of my mouth, it's what my brain is thinking whilst it's saying, hey, say this, but you really feel that. There's going to be a disconnect in somewhere in my visual, my aura, my energy, whatever you want to call it, my mannerisms, that's going to cause people to go, eh, something not right there. Yeah, yeah. I, I love, I love the hearing your story and thank you for being so open and and sharing so much what would you say 
are your non-negotiables now? Like we've we've heard so much. Yep. I can probably yep. guess what you're gonna where you might go with this. But what is what is absolutely non-negotiable for you now at your current level of evolution? Um, well, I have. Let's say from when work with the clients that I work with, one of my non-negotiables: if you don't care about your people as human beings first, I don't work with you. Mm. If you see your people as resources or a means to an end. I'm not the, you know, circle leadership, our organization, the work that we do, we're not the right organization for you. Mm. Right. So if you yep. can't embrace the fact that you have people there with dreams, desires, aspirations, goals, and feelings and stuff like that, and you just see them as a means to end and they should be lucky to be working for you and all those kind of things we brought up in the old days. And you want to do some um, tick box, personal development stuff, professional development stuff, go somewhere else. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah that's right. And if, yeah, if, you, if you're into that, you're not interested. Also, if you're interested in just to make, you know, uh, one of my not negotiables is that um, evolution needs to become the natural state of you and your business. And you can have both phases within that. If you're interested in just how to grow and achieve more of what you're already doing, I'm not interested. Because I think the, the problem with a growth mindset is that a mindset, it's set just on that. And as I say to people, the problem with the mindset is that it's a mindset. So be very careful what you set your mind on. Mm, okay? That's a really and, good point. Yeah, and it is because, which is great, because when we set our mind on something, we lock onto it, it means we're really focused on it, and, but we lock everything else out, which can be wonderful. But if we're locking onto the wrong things or for the wrong reasons, we're we tunnel vision and we're else potentially out. missing all this stuff out here that yeah. we need to so, be. Same. So like there's being open-minded, but you know, you need to be focused at times. So you need to be able to lock onto certain things. I get that, but it's the ability to, you know, lock and unlock your mind and making sure that it's locked onto the right things. Mm. Um, you know, anyone who's just disrespectful, like in, in life to me, you, you, I don't, I've, <laughs> there's, you know, these fundamental laws that we have that we were taught as we grow up. I, I call them fundamental flaws. Okay. Okay. So to me, like when people say, treat other people as you would like to be treated yourself, that makes sense. But to me, it's a fundamental flaw because you might not like to be treated how I like to be treated. We were actually at a friend's birthday and the way their kids speak to their parents, my son was with us. He knows the, the people we were with and all that. They said, dad, I would never call you by your own name. Like they were, the, the child was calling, you know, the 22 year olds calling your parents by their first name. I said, well, that's how their family is. That's how they would choose to be in ours. It's just not like I was raised, I would never, I don't think I've ever in my whole life called my parents by their first name. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I said, that's just how we think and act in, in our family. Right. So that, but we, if we said, well, you know, treat others the way they should be treated. Well, if they don't like being called mom or dad or whatever, well then what, <laughs> who are we yeah. to judge? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Treat others how they want to be treated. Yeah. So treat others as they wish to be treated not how you'd like to be treated. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, this whole adage that, you know, if you want to grow your business, you need to grow your people. Sounds wonderful. Hey, like, you know, um, I own the business. Hey team, we want to grow this business. So we're going to invest you. We're going to help you to grow. And that sounds really great. But what that really says is I don't need to grow because I'm the business owner because I'm smarter than you because I'm capable because I own a business. If you were as smart as me, you'd own your own business. So I'm going to invest in you and help you to grow. And then what happens is the business grows and it gets so big that the, it gets bigger than the owner of the business because they didn't grow. Yeah. Um, they rest on their laurels and all that. And the whole business implodes around them <clears throat> or really great people leave because they don't know how to lead or manage the people. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. my not negotiables are treat people with respect, be open to continually evolving and learning. If you, if you think you're peaked when you're standing on the peak of the mountain, Claire, and you think I've peaked, this is the best I'm ever going to be. And you're standing on that peak. What's the only direction you can go? 
Well, if you reckon you've, if you reckon you've peaked, just down. <laughs> That's right. So I can't help you. So my note of question is, if you think you've peaked, I, I'm, I can't be of service to you. I can't help you. Mm. Right. So I, I, I have very simple fundamentals to me in terms of not negotiables. Treat people with great respect, you know, in terms of how they'd like to be treated, not how you'd like to be treated. Mm. Um, do not, you know, oh, sorry, have an open mind to being willing to continue to evolve and know that you can become more and achieve more in life. Um, yeah, and if you don't care about your people, don't talk to me. I'm not interested. I think that's, I think that's awesome. I think having those really clear uh, boundaries, rules, whatever, you know, like yeah. it, it, it makes things very clear where you stand, where your clients stand with you as well, doesn't it? And yeah. it, it just makes for a better, a better place to be all, all together. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I, you know, I look, you know, so like I like, I like to have fun. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, <clears throat> my whole motto through working in my career was have work, but you know, have fun, but get the work done. As long as the work's yeah. getting done, let's have as much fun as we can. But if the work's not getting done and we're just having too much fun, well, there's, that's a different problem. Totally. Um, so if we can, you know, we're, we spend 50% of our waking hours at work together. <laughs> so let's just have a bit of fun. <laughs> you know, like, let's like, 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 let's, and if we're supposed to be doing our life's best work, well then it, and I did a post about this when I was sharing with you that one of my clients was my birthday yesterday. And, and just as I was leaving, the whole team sung happy birthday to me. Because business to me is personal, yeah. and you know they feel they make me feel like I'm part of their team. Um, they would sing happy birthday to anybody else in their team, and they sung happy birthday to me as I was leaving for my coaching session with the team and all that. How awesome is um, that? Yeah, and you know, but that's they care about me as a human being too. Yeah. If it was just business, they wouldn't have bothered. That's right. And every single person in the whole team, they're all sitting around there. I just did this quick little presentation team about some stuff we'd work with the leadership team on, and before I left, they all sung happy birthday to me. That's so awesome. I love yeah, it. Yeah, like how cool is that? And like things how, like how that have got to, like, it, it, you know, something else I like to, I'm liking to ask all my guests is what keeps you going? You know, what What yeah. is your drive when, you know, you've you've felt the bottom? So, you know, but there's still, you've, there's still peaks and troughs, isn't there? Like there's good yeah. days, there's bad days. We, we're never going to reach a plateau where everything's dandy all of the time. So what what is it that keeps you going? Things like that have to be a big help. Those are the, those are the things that, that certainly continue to fuel what keeps me going. Mm. Um, and so what really keeps me going, this was a great question you, uh, you alluded to that you would ask this. And for me, um, I don't know if this would be a standard answer, but what keeps me going is I have um, a vision of the world that is so big that I can't accomplish it alone. I have a, my big, hairy, audacious goal that is so big, I won't be able to achieve it by myself. Um, you know, I have a clear sense of purpose in terms of why I do what I do and I love it. It gets me out of bed every day. And to mm -hmm. me, you know, it's the problem I'm most passionate about solving. And because my passion is applied to it, passion to me isn't, you know, love your work and do the work you love. Like that's a modern day thing. You know, passion is if you go back to the etymology or the root of the word, it means suffering. So to me, it's my endurance is what am I willing to suffer for? Because what keeps me going is the thing I'm most passionate about. Mm. Um, and that is my ability to endure because when things get tough, what keeps you going? Well, that should be the, whatever the thing is you're passionate about. So I'm clear on the problem I want to solve in the world and my passion. So where those things collide creates my sense of purpose. And then the impact of me living that purpose through the lens of my values and how I uniquely think about that is the vision I have of the world. And that vision is so freaking big, I can't accomplish it alone. And that's what keeps me going, knowing that if, if I, like, it's so big, I can't do it by myself already. So if I, if I, if I slow down, I won't find the people who can help me because, 
and I've only got X number of years left on the planet. <laughs> so I've got to get snappy. <laughs> yeah, well, like, uh, like I'm sitting here, like I turned 55 yesterday. Um, so go back 36, 37 years, let's go back 30, let's even go back 35 years. I was 20 years old. Okay. Mm. If I go forward 35 years, I'm going to be 90. And with uh, keeping reasonable health and well-being and stuff like that with modern sciences and some stem cell replacement for my knees and a few things I've abused as a child <laughs> in my <laughs> youth, um, I should still be a fully functioning human being up to at least 90 years of age. Yeah. So if I could take all the 35 years that I've had in the past, all the experience, all the wisdom, all the stuff we've talked about and a bunch of other stuff that I've learned yeah. Um, yeah. and who I've become today because of the mistakes that I've learned from, because I believe we become who we are from the mistakes we learn from, not the ones we do, mm. but the ones we learn from, because there's ones we keep repeating. We haven't learned from them. So um, keep coming up. Yeah. So I've become this person from learning all that stuff. If I could take that to what's available to me today in terms of look at all the stuff, technology, how easy to start a business. Look at what we're doing here. You know, the way we're recording stuff. I was saying to somebody that when I started my business back in Canada, back in 1999, whatever, let's go back even to 2000, for me to be able to do the studio I have here, the video work I do, the content I pump out, the, all this stuff, it would have cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it then. It's insane, isn't it? And now all I have to have is a Wi-Fi connection by a $100 webcam. I've got a $400 backdrop behind me in my, um, in my studio, a couple of sound panels. Like my whole studio may have cost me two grand. To mm. set up like, and it's a really good studio with multiple TVs and all that sort of stuff. And I can live stream and run conferences and events and things or coach clients anywhere in the world. It, and, and then they just think for $79.95 a month. <laughs> it's phenomenal, isn't so it? So if I could take all that wisdom and experience and learning I have, take with all that's available to me today and know that I could take another 35 years and put all that into that and go forward. I was saying this to, I uh, met with somebody the other day, he's 57, he says, you know, I'm running out of time. And I said, no, dude, rephrase that. Now is the time. You're not running out of time. Because yeah. if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? Because in 10 more years, you'll be 67. Then you'll be going, eh. And so most people my age are thinking about the next 10 years is planning for their 65-year-old retirement. We should retire the word retirement. Um, because to me, I'm going, holy crap, I've got 35 years ahead of me. Good that I can take all that 35, apply it to what's here. You millennials out there who are listening to this, keep up. <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> what keeps me going i created a whole new generation which i found somebody else and somewhere else in the world used the same term so we did it about the same time so whatever um but I, I i wrote it um and i called it hashtag perennials it's a new generation so the future doesn't belong just to the millennials it belongs to us hashtag perennials which is the everlasting generation that's anyone over 40 years of age who's got a dream or an idea or a goal or an aspiration who I have what the millennials don't have, which is wisdom and experience of the last 35 years. I know how to dial a rotary phone. <laughs> you know I know how to is. communicate using a tin can on a string because I was around, that's how we talked as kids. Like I go way back to then, right? I went to school with Jesus, so I know. Um, <laughs> But I have all that and I can apply that today and I have 35 years. So I'm just ramping up, not ramping down. That's phenomenal. What I keeps me going, Claire? That level of thinking keeps me going. 
I think I, I I don't know that there's anything more we can say from here. I think that's just a phenomenal place to to leave it. I could continue yeah. listening to you for forever more, <laughs> but I think that's um that's so awesome. What I what I love is um I was reading one of your posts um about the fact that it was your wedding anniversary, reading it on oh, Facebook, yeah, yeah. and you said at the end of that post, you said, When you know, you know. And I yeah. just think listening to your story all all through what you've shared with us today, there are there have been so many moments where that's rung true you know when you know you know and you just go forth with it and I think that's don't let anybody else tell you otherwise because that whole that post was all if you you, which you read and I appreciate thank you for reading that was like everyone's going to tell you oh this too soon too fast too whatever but when you know you know just go and do and if you want to know what's going to keep you going and you're not going the thing is you don't have a big enough vision or big enough goals for your life or the world because mm. I reckon most people who are struggling to get going is because they're thinking too small, not too that small. they're thinking too big. Oh, I okay. love it. Where can people um, where can people find you if they want to connect with you, find out any more, have a chat about the um, the the stories Adventures you've got from Guinea living overseas? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Anybody who would like to get hold of me, and please understand that any response you get is actually from me. It's not a bot. It's not an automated. It's not my VA. Um, I respond to all requests personally, directly myself. And so it may take time if I do take time to get back to you, but it's because it is coming from me. Um, the easiest way is just go to my website, which is www.daveclare.com, D-A-V-E-C-L-A-R-E.com. Um, you can check out Circle Leadership. You know, I'm on all socials and all that too, but if you just go to my that Dave Clare is the easiest place to go. Love um, it. And we can put the link yeah, to that in the show I, notes for this as well. So yeah. Awesome. Are you going to ask me some random questions? I am going to ask you some random questions. Five pop quiz questions. Okay. Let's do this. What are you reading at the moment? Humanocracy. Humanocracy. Tell us about it. It's a great book. Uh, it's about creating organizations that are as great as the people that are in them, written by uh, Hamill and Zanini. Um, it's a great book. So creating organization as amazing as the people inside them. Uh, and it really speaks to all the work I've been doing for the past 20 years about how do we make our or get away from bureaucracy and organizations and how do we create more human organizations. So, oh, I like it. That sounds like when it came out, it's like, oh, this is speaking my language. And it's really fascinating to listen to because it's like, yes, yes, yes. Finally, people who get it. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Love it. What is your favorite song of all time and why? Oh, <laughs> um, I want people who don't have one favorite song. I have favorite songs for favorite things. Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, self one of my favorite songs is one that I wrote. I, people don't know that I've actually written and produced songs before. So I have a song that's called I've Lived and uh, it's a reflection of how I've lived my life. And it's like a 24 hour reflection. And it basically goes, um, you know, uh, imagine standing on the beach and then you're watching as the sun rises in front of you and sets behind you. And it's, you know, I live my life how I wanted to. The choices I made for me are for, were for me, not for you. Um, and so it's like, how did I get to this amazing place? And that's how it kind of starts. And then at the end, it goes, I know how I ended up in this amazing place because of that's the choices that I made. Awesome. Um, I mean, like it. From a life it. point of view, that's one of my favorite songs. I, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> no, I didn't sing it and I did not play it. I have a, amazing musician friends because I cannot hold a note unless it's an Elvis song. And, uh, and I can't play a guitar to save my life other than the intro to um, uh, Deep Purple's uh, you know, bah, 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 bah. I don't even know what it's called, but yeah, yep. smoke on. The- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got a 10 year old that can do that bit over and over again as well. <laughs> that's, a, that's a limit of my musical talent. <laughs> Love it. What's a quote that's changed your life? Um, 
Einstein's quote uh, that if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. I like it. Which I is like why everything, you know, simplicity is one of my core values, my life and for circle leadership. My book is called Simplified um, because I think we have complicated too many things. Mm, totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Now we're going practical. What is a piece of software app or piece of tech that has changed how you do business? This is going to be a really funny answer for you, but a whiteboard. Mm. A whiteboard is my favorite piece of technology or at whatever you want to call it. That is, you know, as much as email and you can look at, you know, and I've got there's a platform I use with my clients, which Cohen, which is great for accountability. Oh, they're all been amazing. But for me, I would die without a whiteboard. <laughs> I love like, it. Literally, my life would be over if I did not have a whiteboard. I have three whiteboards here in my office and one big one in the studio. And I wish my whole wall was a whiteboard. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I'm kind of like, you know, uh, you know, that like Rain Man or the like, get me in front of a whiteboard and I'm all, you know, and then all of a sudden there's this big thing on the whiteboard, like, oh my God. Look yeah. I've created. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I refer to myself as an idiot savant. <laughs> Last but not least, give us a uh, practical tip or life hack. The, the one obvious one that comes to mind, let, let's just use one that we all deal with, which is email. So like how many emails a day do you get or send Claire. Oh gosh. 20, 30, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Let's say you get 30 emails a day come to you for some various reasons. Now, when you look at those, how do you know which ones the purpose of email is for either it should be, uh, here's information for something we talked about, or here's an action that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. The real two main purposes of email is to share information or provide some sense of action that's required. So now what I get people to do is, and you'll see this, any email you get from me, it'll say action in the subtitle and then what it, the action is, or it'll say information and what it is. So that when you get something from me, you can go through all your emails. Imagine looking through all 20 emails you got today and they all, there's four that said action and the, there was 16 that said info. And you just go open the ones that say action because they're the ones you need to do something with. The other ones you can look at when you need to because there's information. <clears> also, when your clients get them from you, it goes there and they go, oh, this is action. So all my clients know if it says action, they need to do something. If it's information, I'm just sharing info with them. Also, now when I go to follow up, I can just sort data sort by subject. All the action ones come up first. And I go, here's all the actions I've sent. And I can follow up and, hey, what's happening with that action, that action, that action, that action. That is brilliant. So, brilliant. So there's, there's the pragmatic practical hack, which could be for life or organization, whichever one it is, it'll make your life easier, but more importantly, it'll make the people that you're communicating with their life easier because they know whether it's an action or information. I love it. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure to hear your story, hear your tips, hear your advice, hear your learnings. It has been so much fun. Um, happy you, birthday again for yesterday yeah, um, and happy anniversary and, and everything else that happened on that same day. Yeah, my wife's a genius. Eh? She puts, uh, gets us married on the day of my birthday. She has to give me one present. What a legend and what a great conversation. What were some of your biggest takeaways? For me, there were a few. There's moments in life and in business where we're faced with choice. We stand at a crossroads and we can turn one way or another. And in those moments, I believe it's important for us to tap into our why. For Dave, it was the example he was setting for his kids if he quit. And I must say, if you've been following me for a while now, then you'll know that mine is very similar. My boys give me the fuel to keep going. And as long as I continue to be the change, to be the example to them, then I know I'm going okay. The other thing I loved is the concept of act as if. 
instead of fake it till you make it, I have never been a fan of fake it till you make it and act as if really is the difference that makes the difference. You know, act as if you're already the person you're aspiring to be with the business you're aspiring to run. What would you be doing? What would you be thinking? What would you be telling yourself? Our mind and what we believe to be true is so powerful. So we might as well ensure that we're training it in much the same way that we train any other muscle in our body to perform at its best. If you have loved this episode, then please jump on to our Facebook or Instagram communities. Again, the links will be in the show notes to this episode and share what you've loved. Share your key learnings. And if you know someone in your network that would benefit from hearing this conversation, then please share this episode with them as well. Make sure you subscribe to Real Life Business on your podcast app of choice to never miss a new episode as it drops. And if you are listening on Apple or iTunes, be sure to leave us a five-star review because that really helps build awareness of this show. Alrighty, guys, that is all from me. Thank you again for having me in your ears for the last hour or so. I really do appreciate it. And until next time, bye-bye.